welcome in. All right. Hey, give it up for Jim. It's called double pressure. Okay, here we go. Uh, he was born in 1758 in Hartford, Connecticut. You know it yet? Almost. All right. Yeah. And uh, into a family who were direct descendants of the Plymouth Colony, the Puritans, who is, hopefully you know, escaped religious persecution uh, from Great Britain. And his dad was not only a farmer and a local deacon of his church, but his father, even though he had never attended college, he so longed for knowledge that he actually founded a local book society and later was appointed justice of the peace of his community. And so with this kind of upbringing, you can be sure that this man was going to get an education, and boy, did he ever. At the age of 14, his pastor began tutoring him in Latin and Greek to prepare him for Yale College. And upon graduation, he studied under a future U.S. Supreme Court justice, and he set his sights on supporting the American Revolution and encouraging people themselves to break away from the tyranny of Britain. And then the next thing you know, he used his literary skills to train the next generation of American children. Listen, he wrote a three-volume set called A Grammatical Institute of the English Language, which consisted of a speller, a grammar, a reader for the next 100 years. It not only taught American children how to read, spell, and pronounce words, but listen, it also taught them about God. Why? Because listen to what he said, quote, education is useless in America without the Bible. And that the Bible is the chief moral cause of all that is good. It's the best corrector of all that is evil in human society. It's the best book for regulating the temporal concerns of man. And it's the only book that can serve as an infallible guide for our future. And then he even stated that the Christian religion is the basis of all genuine freedom in government. And to this we owe our free constitutions of government. He said, I am persuaded that no civil government of a Republican form can exist and continue to exist without the durable principles of Christianity if Christianity does not have a controlling influence. And why do we think we're going down the tubes today? And today, he's known in our country as one of the greatest language reformers, textbook pioneers, an abolitionist, a political writer, editor, author, father of American education to the point where his name is now synonymous with the dictionary, which, by the way, believe it or not, used to include a copy in the very beginning of his personal testimony of how he received Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior before it was removed from our modern versions. The man's name, of course, was... Webster, give it up for Jim. He actually got it. That's right. That's exciting. The dictionary gave it away, didn't it? Yeah, whatever. Okay. But anyway, that's right. But folks, how many guys would say that uh, Noah Webster, hey, there's more to him than to the dictionary. Yeah, go figure. Yeah. Noah Webster had a pretty cool life as a Christian. Amen. Right. A hundred. Can you imagine God using you and something you wrote to train American children for a hundred years, not just in reading and writing, but about God? Wouldn't that be fantastic? Hey, that really happened to him, and he really was a Christian. But once again, folks, here's the problem. Even though God's the same God, and we're just as much his children as Noah Webster's, what's going on today? In the American church, what are we doing? We, we take a look at the Bible on one hand, we look at our lives in the other, and we're going, there's a serious disconnect here. It's not matching up. How come these people like Noah Webster get to have this amazing walk with Jesus Christ, and here I am fumbling around in the dark. I don't have this life worth living for. I got a, I got a life worth giving up. You ever been there? Once again, folks, this is the great news. It doesn't have to be that way. Turn to somebody and say, hey, that means you. Love you, man. Right? Okay, and that's why we're going to continue our study, A Life Worth Living For. And what we're doing is looking at the different keys I believe are pivotal if you and I are going to have those amazing walks with Jesus Christ, believe it or not, like Noah Webster uh, had and made an impact on our country. And do we need that today or what? 
Okay, big time, okay? We've already seen the first six times that first key was experiencing God's joy. Then we saw the next 16 times it was backing it up with experiencing God's peace. Then we saw the next four times it was experiencing God's worship. And then the last four times we've been seeing it's also about experiencing God's fruit. And this is what I call the common sense point, right? This is just common sense logic. If we're going to get around, okay, it's one thing to think about it doesn't mean it's going to happen. If you and I are going to ever get around to experiencing those lives that we keep reading about every single week, like Noel Webster and others, then you got to do something about it, right? How many of you guys wish you could, again, go by that pillow and through spiritual osmosis, all this gets leased into your brain, you wake up and God does amazing things. It doesn't work that way. How many of you guys wish the Bible would do that? Okay, no, you got to get in. You got to do something about it. You got to be fruitful. You got to be obedient to what God tells you to do. Otherwise, you're wasting your time. Now, last time we saw the fourth thing that we need to learn, if we're going to have that fruitful walk with Jesus Christ, we don't just need to give him obedience as we've been seeing, but specifically last time, unquestionable obedience. Just do what he asks you to do. Why? Because once again, do I really even need to say this? This is Jesus. This is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's the master of the universe. When he gives an order, you obey. How dare we question him? Right? The problem is we saw we allow a couple stomach blocks to come in we've forgotten about the lord's lordship okay the lord jesus christ he's not just our savior he's our lord as well and the scripture emphasizes that and last time we saw the reason why we don't give him unquestionable obedience is because we forget that god's ways differ than our own and that's just common sense it's going to happen we're not god but then we actually have the audacity to think that god's way must somehow equate to my way before i can obey excuse me He's God. And then we forget that, hello, he doesn't buy into our excuses. You know, like, hey, God, I'll follow you. I'll risk it all for you. But first, let me go, you know, get that big savings account, that retirement plan. Uh, uh, let me go get financially secure before I can follow you. Uh, no, no, no. Let me first think about it, my family, my friends, and make sure that I don't have to risk any relationship before. Excuse me? God comes first. Not your family, not your friends, not your finances, not your future. Just do what he says, no questions asked. He deserves nothing less. Amen? Then you'll start bearing fruit. Now, the fifth thing we need to learn is what I call individual obedience. Individual obedience. One that chooses, listen, not just once in a while, not just that day you got saved, but one that chooses every single day to individually obey God, listen, as a pattern of life. And listen, no matter what other people say, no matter what they do, no matter how they act, no matter what they think, nothing and nobody is going to dictate your walk or service to Jesus Christ. Nobody's going to get in your way. When God does something, you individually, yes, I am choosing Jesus today. Now, believe it or not, John the Baptist did the same thing. And we need to emulate that today. But again, don't take my word for it. Let's listen to God. Let's open your Bibles to John chapter 3. Let's take a look at John the Baptist amazing statement there john chapter 3 verses 22 through 30 is going to be our text here and uh, john chapter 3 if you find john what do you do go to chapter 3 that's right uh, verse 22 let's take a look at the amazing testimony and words of john the baptist now this is john the baptist john the baptist jesus said he was an amazing guy there's nobody been born like john the baptist this guy had an amazing ministry it would have been so easy for john to say well hey it's about me it's about what i've been called to do i and what my agenda and god is no the amazing john the baptist listen to his attitude about jesus this is this is wild Okay, verse 22 says this. Now, after this, Jesus and his disciples, they went out into the Judean countryside where 
uh, spend some time with him and, and baptize. And, and, and John was also baptizing in Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water and, and people were constantly coming to be baptized. Now, this was before John was put into prison. Now, an argument developed between some of the, uh, John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. And, and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, uh, th- that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, you know, the one you testified about, you know, Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes the, away the sins of the world, you said, follow him. Right? Well, well, wait a second. He, he's baptizing. Everybody's going to him. John, he's cutting in on your action, John. You're not going to be as famous, John. People are going to stop coming to you, John. John, it's about you, John. What, John, John. Listen to what John says. To this, John replied, listen, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. And you yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine. Jesus is here now. It's about him, right? It's about him. He says, the joy is mine. It's now complete. Listen to this phrase. He, Jesus, God, must become greater. I must become what? Less. Oh, have we forgotten this or what? I mean, you got to put this in the context. This is the infamous John the Baptist. He's reminding us, yes, even as Christians today, what in the world life is all about. Why are we still here this side of heaven? Why hasn't God taken us home yet to heaven, okay? It's encapsulating this phrase, he, God, Jesus, every single day, he must increase and I must decrease. I have got to obey him at all costs. Why? Because as we saw last week, Jesus Christ is not just our savior. He is our Lord. We are here to serve him. It's not the other way around. And listen, our obedience to him is not only deserved, but it shows people that God's way is the best way. Listen, and that it's the only way out of this wicked world system. It shows them the way out of this horrible mess. And so this is the point. I mean, surely this is what we're doing every single day as Christians. We're quoting this phrase to our head individually. Oh, it's not about me. It's about God. It's about serving him. He must become greater today. I must become less. Let me find some ways that I can decrease myself every day. It's all about Jesus now. It's it's not about me. It's about his agenda. It's his life, not mine. I've got to be a positive example to the lost around me so they can see, too, that Jesus is the only way out of this mess. You see, our obedience, guys, it isn't just about moral issues. It's not just about reaping what you sow and you sow to the flesh, you reap to the flesh, and that does happen, unfortunately. It's not just about the moral benefit of following what God says to do. Listen, it's about being a witness. That there's another way to live. That there's a way out of this mess. When we obey what God says, that's what we get. And even though God wants to use us today, just like John the Baptist, to lead many souls to him, we don't give him this individual obedience every single day. It's all about him now, not me. Because again, we do some roadblocks. And that first roadblock is we give into what I call stipulations. Oh, yeah. Listen to this. How many times have we been determined to be obedient to God? We're, we're going to honor his lordship. We're going to do what he says without question, without a delay. But we still blow it by imposing a stipulation. We impose a condition on our individual obedience. And we do this, guys, I'm telling you, in all kinds of arenas in life. Let me just give you three common examples, okay? The first one is in our marriage. 
Oh, he's going to Medlin already. It's Valentine's Day. What's going on with that? But let me take a look at this passage, okay? How many of you guys are familiar with this passage on marriage in the scripture, cut and dry? You don't have to pray and fast 15 years to figure out what's going on. You don't have to go to a prayer and fasting conference with meals included. They actually have those, if you can believe that. Uh, anyway, Ephesians chapter 5, here it is. Here's what you do, wives. Here's what you do, husbands. Have a great day. Have a great marriage. Here it is. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Well, that's my sermon today. Let's close in prayer. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, Bobby, don't get too excited. You're going to be in trouble on the way home. All right, no, all right, so that's what you do. Now flip it around. Husbands, what are you supposed to do? Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Okay? And again, I would assume that most of us are familiar with that passage of Scripture, especially, unfortunately, during some marital argument or something. But, uh, but seriously, I think the arguments come from a misunderstanding of this passage and our individual obedience to it as husbands and wives. Let me give you an example. How many times have you heard it said from the wives? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll submit to my husband as soon as he starts loving me as Christ loved the church, right? You're afraid to move a muscle. <laughs> just look straight ahead okay and husbands how many times you heard this from the guys oh yeah well i'll love my wife as christ loves the church as soon as she starts supporting me spiritually the home right folks it's called game playing and i don't know if you learned this or not but game playing in marriage will get you nowhere fast and it makes things worse just do the right thing unlike this couple they were playing games tom listen there was this husband and wife and they recently had a huge argument and uh, they ended up not talking to each other for days. I mean, days, right? Game plan, game plan. Well, finally, on the third day, the husband asked where one of his shirts was, right? And the wife goes, oh, 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 so now you're speaking to me. And the husband, he looked confused and says, what are you talking about? And his wife challenged him and said, well, haven't you noticed I haven't spoken to you for three days? And the husband said, no, I just thought we were getting along, <laughs> right? Ladies, that happened anyway. <laughs> Well, that's not it. They continue their game plan, right? So the wife, she gets mad at the husband, right? Because their little game plan didn't work, right? And so he decides, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to play a game on you. And so he leaves work, and he heads home one Friday afternoon. But being that it was payday, instead of going home, he stayed out the entire weekend and spent his entire paycheck. Yeah, big time. And so when he finally appeared home Sunday night, he was confronted by a very angry wife. But the, the more she tried to talk to him and how she felt towards his irresponsible behavior, the more he just ignored her. And so finally, his wife stopped trying to express her outrage at his actions and simply said to him, oh, yeah, okay, buddy, how would you like it if you didn't see me for two or three days? To which he replied, yeah, that would be fine with me. And so listen, Monday came and went, and he didn't see his wife. Tuesday and Wednesday came and went with the same results. And come Thursday, the swelling went down just enough where he could see her out of the corner of his left eye. Three of you will get that later. Just put it in your pocket. Bring it back out for a little treat this afternoon, and it'll make sense. <laughs> Excuse me. Game flame. Come on, man. How many black eyes do we need to get in marriage before we stop doing this stuff? Right? Stop the game playing. Just do what God says to do in the situation as a husband, as a wife. Stop stipulating your obedience. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, period. Stop. And wives, submit to your husband as spiritually their home. What are you doing? What do the actions or lack thereof of another person, even your spouse, have to do with you, Christian, individually obeying God? 
This is an order from God. This is the Father's business. Listen, this is the way out of your mess, even your marital mess. He's the one who instituted marriage in the Garden of Eden. I think he knows how best to do it. Just do what he says. Why are you playing these games? Why? Just do it and be blessed. Why are you stipulating a condition on your obedience? Individually obey God's regardless, okay? And, and this is the point. Otherwise, we're going to use the other person's behavior as a cop-out from being individually obedient to God and miss out on the blessing. In that passage we read in Ephesians, is there any conditional statements in there? Did the word phrase, oh yeah, appear in there? When, how about if-then statements? Well, husbands, you do this for your wife, if, but then, and then. It's just two simple commands. Who do we think we are reading them into the text? It's a trap. Just do it and be blessed. Now, listen, it's not just true. I've learned for marital relationships. It's true when it comes to God's command for our workplace relationships. Okay, let me just give you one command. Believe it or not, the Bible tells us how to act and behave in the world's eyes in our workplace. Let, 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 me, just, let me just give you one example here in 1 Peter. Let's take a look at what he says. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18 through 19. Slaves, okay, submit to your, yourselves to your masters with how much respect? All respect. Now listen, not only to those who are considerate, what? But also to those who are What? You mean even those bad bosses? You guys ever have a bad boss? What's the scripture say? Respect them. Well, why? Because it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he's conscious of God. God doesn't condone sinful behavior, but listen, there's something more important going on here with your obedience. It's a witness to your unsaved employer or fellow employees. And so this is a question, simple command, right? You don't, you don't play preferences you don't impose a stipulation at your workplace who cares who your boss is you be a christian you respect them you work your tail off and be that positive example that's what the scripture says very easy so is this what we're doing at your place of employment do you respect your employer at all times even if they're mean and nasty I'm not condoning it but that's between them and god we are not responsible for somebody else's behavior but we are accountable to god for our reaction to their behavior did you know that even if they're mean and nasty. I mean, it's easy when they're nice to you, right? Hey, of course. There are no conditional statements in that passage. There's no if-then statements. We cannot stipulate our obedience just like in the marriage passage, okay? Yet how many times do we have this mentality even at the workplace? Oh, yeah, there's that phrase again. Oh, yeah, well, I'll be nice to my employer just as soon as he gives me that raise I want, yeah. Or no, 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 I'll work my tail off him. I'll finally give him a decent day's work. As soon as he gives me that day I've been wanting off and all that. What? And you wonder why you're getting black eyes, so to speak, at your workplace. What are you doing, Christian? What are we doing? You're stipulating your obedience. It's not about you. It's about being a positive witness for Jesus. Your, listen, odd behavior, i.e. being good in the midst of their bad behavior, is what is commendable to God. It's a powerful witness to them. I know I've been mean and nasty to you, but man, you are my best employer. You never give me any lip. You just do what you're told. In fact, you go the extra mile. Can I have what you have? Maybe that's why God put you there. Because he wants to turn that nasty boss into a Christian. And you're blowing it because you're stipulating your obedience. 
You're missing the point. Listen, remember, it's not about us anymore, is it? It's about Jesus. He comes first. He comes first. That's what the world does. It's called eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but not Christians. We show them there's a better way. There's a way out of this mess through Jesus Christ. Let me give you one more. How about just an average Joe? Just an average person you meet on the street. Not just a marital relationship, not just your workplace, but just somebody you strike up a relationship with, right? I mean, I, I mean are, do, do you love them only when they're nice to you? Or do you continue to love them even when they're rude and insensitive like this lady was? Listen, there's, there's this guy, met a girl, you know, maybe Valentine's Day, I don't know. He asked her out on a dinner date, day, okay? And, and so they go out to this restaurant and this waiter comes up to the table and he he tells them this evening's special, and it says it's going to be almond chicken and fresh fish. <clears throat> but anyway, so the woman says, well, the, the chicken sounds good. I think I'll have that. And the waiter nods and says, and the vegetable? And the woman replies, oh, he'll have the fish. <laughs> Put that in the other pocket so you can pull it out in stereo this afternoon for a good laugh for all one of you who got that. Can you imagine that? Excuse me, I'm not a vegetable. How many guys to say that date was going down fast after that comment? Okay, <laughs> not looking good, okay? But that guy had a big decision to make, didn't he? He could either lash back, right? Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. Oh, yeah, vegetable, I'll tell you, there's squash soup lady, right? He could do the right thing or, okay, he could return it with, with love. Isn't that what Jesus says? Isn't that one of the most profound ways that we witness when you love your enemies? That's not a hard passage to understand, is it really? Do we really have to figure out what's going on here? Let's take a look at that passage, just one of them. Matthew 5, from Jesus, by the way, 44 and 46. But I tell you, what do you do, your enemies? Call me vegetable? You're getting it now. No, love your enemies and you pray for those who persecute you. Why? Because, hello, if you love those who love you, what reward are you going to get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Even the IRS is nice to each other, I guess. <laughs> Woohoo! Oh, no big shakes on that. You want to be a great witness for Jesus Christ? Then you love especially the stinkers. Turn to somebody and say, hey, you're a stinker. Go ahead. Go ahead. Turn and say, hey, you're a stinker. <laughs> Well, now we're getting spiritual. <laughs> All right, but follow it up with this. But I love you anyway. All right? Hey, did you know this? This is a humbling truth, right? They, they say that, you know, three out of four people are, uh, you know, kind of normal, right? So if you, if you look around at uh, three people around you and they're okay, then it's you who's not the normal one. <laughs> Have you noticed that? I mean, that's the truth. Did you know that we are each somebody else's stinker, by the way, in case you wonder if you think you're so good? But here's the point. Love is the way out of this mess. God's kind of love, okay? There's no conditional statements in that passage to love your enemies. There's no if-then statements. We must individually choose to be obedient to God. Listen, even here, not just in my marriage, not just in my workplace, but whoever I meet, I don't care what they do, your behavior is not gonna dictate what God's called me to do. Nobody can make that decision for you. That's an individual, daily, moment-by-moment decision, and bang, that's when fruit really starts to be born and until we bring it down to literally that minute by minute minute decision every single day i'm going to choose individually to do what god says to do by his spirit you're kidding yourself 
You are kidding yourself. As long as you sit there and stip, oh, if then, or that, I got the perfect circumstance, or all this, no, it's got to be worked out this way. I can just do it. And until you get to that, we are fooling ourselves. All these great things, all these people of wanting to do some great things, it will never transpire. Because it's an individual, moment by moment, daily decision. No, I'm going to do God's way. In fact, every day I mean it when I get out of bed. You know what the agenda is for today? It's really simple. It goes like this. I, me, my, that way. I must decrease. In fact, I've got to find ways I can decrease even more today to beat my record from yesterday. And you know what? He must increase. The thoughts of my mind, my brain need to be consumed with, and now what, God? What do you want me to individually be obedient in this area or that area or over here? What, God, it's a, and that has to increase. Otherwise, it ain't going to happen. Nobody can make that decision for you. I can't make it for you. You can't make it for me. But every day, that's our mandate. I have to go away. It's about Jesus now. Bang. Fruit starts being born big time. That's the stipulation. The second roadblock that I've noticed we bring in is what I call giving into not just stipulation, but giving into independence. Yeah. You don't want to do this. This is what I call, for those of you hooked on 60s music, uh, Simon and Garfunkel theology. Remember that song they came up with there? I am a rock. I am an island. You know, I don't need anybody. I can do it all on my own. Yeah. Now, that's the guys. For the ladies, I call it the Helen Reddy theology. That's right. I am woman. Uh, not me. I'm singing a song. I am woman. I am strong. I chew 16 penny nails all day long. I don't need anybody. I don't need a man. I can do it all my own. That's an independent attitude. Now, the problem with this, folks, is the world celebrates that. The world tells us to do that. But this independent attitude, I don't need anyone. I'm going to do it my way. I can do it all my own. I don't need anybody. That's what kept Jacob in trouble for almost his whole life. And God actually had to wrestle with him and break him. And folks, it's a lot easier just doing what God says to do than him having, ooh, that was a good sound effect. Let's do that again. Then break you, okay? Let's take a look at that passage. We've seen this in uh, another study before, but let's revisit it again. Genesis 29, 1 through 4, 9 through 10. Then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. And there was, he saw a well in the field, and there were three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well. Now, the stone, singular, over the mouth of the well was what? Large. Key word there, okay? Now, when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds, plural, would roll away the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they, plural, would return the stone to the place over the mouth of the well. Now, Jacob, he asked the shepherds, he says, hey, my brothers, where are you from? And they said, we're from Haran. Well, while he was talking to him, Rachel, the good-looking girl, came with her father's sheep. She's got bucks. That was cash back in the day. And for she was the shepherdess, right? Well, when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban and his mother's brother, and Laban's sheep, man, good-looking girl with cash, what do guys do, lady? Time to get manly, right? This, this is what's going on here. I love this passage. And, and so he, he, singular, Jacob, he goes over and he rolled the stone all by himself. He rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. See? And see, this is exactly what he's doing here. You, you might go, well, what, what's this passage got to do with being independent? 
It has everything to do with when you take a look at the shepherds of the day. This is a cool Jewish custom and mannerism. When the well water, when the water surface on the ground disappeared, it was necessary to switch to well water, right? Because you got to water the sheep and the livestock. And it was customary, as you saw in that passage, it's mentioned there, to cover the wellhead with a large, heavy, giant, massive stone. And uh, that required, listen, several men to lift. Okay, it was, and it had to be huge because they were protecting their water rights. And so this passage indicates, listen, the incredible strength that Jacob had. He is literally the Arnold Schwarzenegger of his day. What normally took several men to do, i.e. move the stone, Mr. Buff, Mr. Independent, Mr. Big Guy Jacob does in just a few seconds to impress the good-looking chick nearby. That's what's going on in this passage. He knew he was strong. He was manly. He was independent. He didn't need anybody. He didn't need their help. And he made sure everybody knew this with this muscular display. Hey, my wife's on the front row. It's Valentine's Day. And it ain't working. <laughs> but if you think about it, the same independent attitude, okay, uh, followed Jacob, unfortunately, most of his life. I mean, he even started at birth. Remember his story? Remember how at birth, how he grabbed his brother's Esau's heel, wanting to be first? Right? Remember that? Okay. It was his way or no way. Later, he resorts to trickery to get his brother's birthright. Remember that? He wanted the family blessings. He's going to do it even if he's got to trick somebody. His name means supplanter, deceiver. He didn't need anybody. I don't care what I got to do. I'm going to get my way. I'll resort to trickery, muscles, you name it. It's my way. Now, unfortunately, if you continue to recall his, his account, he continued the self-sufficient, independent Mr. Buff attitude most of his life, always securing his own future. It's all about him, what he wanted. Okay, until he had a face-to-face -face encounter with God. He wrestled with the angel, remember that? And it says there in the scripture, he wrestled with him at Peniel. Did you know what Peniel means? It means face of God. He had a face-to-face -face encounter with God where he was wrestled with the angel. Listen, he wrestled with the angel to get what he wanted. Mr. Schwarzenegger, I, I am so independent. I don't need anybody. I'm going to take on God. That's Jacob. And so God says, okay, fine. You want to play that game? What happened? Can you ever beat up God? No. He not only experienced his first defeat with an opponent. He learned he wasn't as big and independent as he thought he was. There's always somebody bigger, folks. And when the angel touched him, what happened? What's the scripture say? Boom. Popped his hip out of joint. And from that point forward, for the rest of his life, he became a broken man. Don't ever take on God. Every step he took for the rest of his life, God gave him a reminder. You need me. You need me. Now, did you know that sometimes I've learned God still does that to us today? Christian. Did you know he'll wrestle with us? Oh, oh you know, we just happen to pick a fight with God. <clears throat> How? By being independent. And God will have to do what he did to Jacob. He'll find a way to break us, won't he? Oh, it may not be a hip, but it's going to be something. And he said, well, Pastor Bill, I mean, a Christian, I mean, there's no way. I, I, I would never do that to God. I would, I would never be independent and rough and tough and buff, and, and I don't need God. Excuse me, do you still pray to God just like when you first got saved? 
Are you too strong for that now? You don't need to pray. Do you read your Bible every single day passionately, just devouring the Word of God? Oh, yeah. Are you just too strong for that? Ah, I got it covered now. I don't need that. I read it once. Do you fellowship with God's people? Do you witness to the lost like uh, you used to on a regular basis? You had a passion for that? Or, or is your agenda much more fruitful than God? Oh, no, we'd never be independent of God. Huh? It's this independent attitude that Jesus said, Christian, if you don't get rid of this and you get rid of this now and get back to that just broken and contrite heart, Soft and pliable in the hands of God. Just like when you came to me all messed up and busted and broken and defeated. You better get that back. Because unless you do, your time here on earth will be wasted away. I didn't say that Jesus did. How many times have we read this passage, folks? This is a daily individual decision. John 15, 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, how do you remain in him? By prayer and Bible study and, and fellowship and witnessing and having the things of God, just being surrounded by God. I'm just, it's about Jesus now. I, I'm remaining in him. Every chance I get, that's what you're doing. If you do that, Christian, every day, not just when you first got saved, and I and you, you will bear, listen, not just fruit. What's the word Jesus uses? Much fruit. Anybody want to bear much fruit? Listen to Jesus every single day. He says, oh, by the way, you don't think this is serious? You unplug from me, apart from me, how much ultimately will you accomplish this side of heaven? Nothing. Nothing. If we don't get back to being dependent upon God, well, how are you dependent? You show that dependency every day individually when you continue to pray to him and continue to study the Bible and continue to fellowship with his people and share the gospel with the laws and sing songs. What a concept from your heart out of love for him. Why? Because you're saying it's about him. I need him. I can't make it on my own. That's the song you're singing by your behavior. And he so infuses you with his spirit, man, that's when things really begin to happen. Remember when we first got saved, it seemed like, man, there was miracle here and miracle there. And God did this and he delivered me from that. And I had this great witnessing opportunity here. And I learned this and I was impacted. Remember that? Because what were you doing when you first got saved? Abiding in him. And now it's a distant memory. Why? You got unplugged from the vine. Slowly but surely, this independent attitude crept in like Jacob. I'm too strong for that. And nothing's happening. All you got is distant memories. Remember that time? Folks, I don't know about you, but I don't want to live a life that just remember that time. Remember that time when somebody who somehow knew somebody who did something for God. I want to do something today. It only happens when you plug into him and stay there. I can't make that decision for you. You can't make it for me. It's individual obedience. And the irony is, he wants to help us. He wants to provide for us. He wants, it's right there for the taking if we just do it. Like this little boy learned. This little boy, was he was tugging at a big old rock, doing his best to lift it. And he was grunting, he was pulling, and it just, it just wouldn't budge. And so his father came along and asked him if he was having any trouble. And the little boy says, yes, I am. I'm trying and trying and trying, but dad, I just can't move this rock. 
And his father said to him, well, son, are you using all the available energy? And the boy replied, yeah, father, I think I am. And the dad looked at him and simply said this, no, son, I don't think you are. For you haven't asked for my help. Every day. How God must sit there with us going, are you done yet? Are you done struggling? You tired of messing with that rock all by yourself? You get nowhere? No? All right, I'll be back tomorrow. You ready yet? Can I help you? What's that? Oh, you're going to do it all by yourself, Jacob? You don't need what? All right, I'll be back tomorrow. How many times do we got to do this? How many times do we got to do this? Apart from me, we can do nothing. How many struggles? How many trials? How many? How much pain, Christian, do we have to go through before we just, hey, <laughs> there's the Father, help! And He loves us, and He intervenes. And he moves the rocks out of the way. Just daily childlike dependency. I need my dad's big, strong arms. I don't have the ability. Our efficiency turns out to be a deficiency unless we have God's sufficiency. And whether we realize or not, when we are self-sufficient instead of being savior-sufficient, every day we do that, Christian, you know what we're doing to God? We are declaring our independence from him. And all we're doing is keeping the pain going a lot longer than we need to. When we don't pray, when we don't read, when we don't study the Bible, when we don't seek God, when we don't seek fellowship with his people, when we don't share the gospel, we are saying in essence like Jacob did for most of his life, I don't need you, God. And then here comes the wrestling match. How many broken hips do we have to get? Before God says, are you ready yet? Can, can you just get back to how it used to be when you first got saved? I love you. I want to help you. But it's a relationship. I'm not going to force you. Just come to me. Oh, and don't forget, there is a little bit of a stinger. You keep that up. Apart from him. All those works you think you're doing, you're doing it in your own strength. Right? Oh, you might be doing some Christian stuff. You might be teaching a Sunday school class. You, you might be helping out over here. You might be serving in leadership here. You might be doing all that stuff. But you know what? The scripture says it's going to be burned up. Oh, you'll make it to heaven, 1 Corinthians 3, but only as one escaping through the flames. You got smoke coming off your back end. Woo! Wow, praise God for eternal security. <laughs> but wouldn't you rather want to get there being empowered by the Spirit of God, which only comes when you're dependent upon Him. And as the Scripture says, you got some gold and silver and costly stones to lay at His feet. Who wants to get there having smoke come out their backside? I don't. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I can't make that decision for you. You can't make it for me. But choose today to abide in Him and you'll bear much fruit. Much easier way to go. Amen? But again, here's the problem, folks. I mean, how, how far can you push this attitude and just sit there? I mean, I know Christians, we get in spiritual ditches at times, right? We're not perfect. I'm not perfect. We're going to blow it, right? Turn to somebody and say, hey, you blew it this week, didn't you? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but that's the truth, right? We all blow it, right? So I get that. We're not saved by our works. How many times do you got to say that? But how far can you push this attitude? I don't give a rip about obeying God. I'm just like Jacob. I don't need him. 
Oh, yeah, here he goes again, preacher. You're trying to guilt me. I'm not guilting you into nothing. I'm just telling you what the scripture says. Many will say to me on that day, Jesus said, Lord, Lord, I mean, come on, we did some stuff for you. Yeah, but was it in his strength? Do you really want to play that game? Because the reality is you might be flirting with this future. And nobody should ever do that. Let's take a look at this. is the desperate thrust of a helpless soul upon the arms of an almighty saint. Are you doing what Jesus, who speaks the words of the Father, are you doing what he says? Seek first the kingdom of God. Are you taking every step necessary to stop feeding your life in God's name? sit through another service and stand by a signpost that points you away from hell and the wrath of God and to heaven and life and forgiveness and hug death to your breast. Oh, the madness of sin. You are a vile, filthy, helpless, hell-deserving, wretched son or daughter of Adam. You know nothing of true repentance and therefore of true and safe. Or you just occasionally have a little whimper in the closet when your conscience gets so active you can't live with it. And you whimper and cry and ask God for a little help and then you go right back with your hand and your eyeball firmly attached. Oh yes, once in a while you take a dull paring knife and scratch your hand and occasionally you scratch around your eyeball, but you haven't begun to cut off and cry out. You better listen to the words of Jesus. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter. But he that does the will of my Father in heaven. If ye by the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the flesh, ye shall live. If you live after the flesh, you'll die. The cross does not give us a minor shift or two with regard to a few of our ethical and moral and religious values. The cross radically disrupts the very center and citadel of your life from self to Christ. And if the cross has not done that, you're not a Christian! My friend, face it! Young or old, you're not a Christian! until the cross has radically disrupted the very center and citadel of your life and brought you from a life of commitment to serve self, whether it's religious self, moral self, proud self, covetous self, lustful self, prideful self, unforgiving self, lazy self. It doesn't matter what are the focal points of the reign of your self. If you've gone to the cross in union with Christ, it's been shattered. I want you in that day 
when you stand with me before the judge of the world to have him say, come you blessed. Come you blessed. I don't want to look at you standing there saying, Lord, 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 I named you in earth. I named you before the elders. I named you before the church. I named you in prayer meeting. I named you in witness. And Lord, now, Lord, Lord, did I not this? Did I not that? I don't want to hear him say, Depart from me. I never knew you. You worker of anybody. You never were made a doer of the will of God. You learned enough, and you learned what to say properly enough to be accepted for what you professed yourself to be on earth. But now the day of judgment has come, and the truth is now to be known. You can fool me. <clears throat> you can fool this church. You can fool other people. But come judgment day, nobody fools God. You got to understand what the judgment day that's talked about here. He's quoting basically Matthew 7, 18 through 21. When Jesus makes the amazing statement, he said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, I mean, did, I mean come on, we were there in the midst. We were there at church services. I mean, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name and, and drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. He didn't say, I knew you once and you lost your salvation because you can't. Praise God, it's complete, amen? But the scripture tells us there's a category of people who were in the midst who even profess Jesus is Lord but they show their true colors. That's crazy freaky. The day that most people think that they're talking about here is the day of judgment. Very well, the great white throne judgment at the very end of time. And where these people have been in hell because they're not saved, and then they get raised, the scripture says, hell is raised before the great white throne of God. And if, 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 if anything, think of the sensation at that point. This whole time you've been burning and gnashing and weeping of teeth. Ah, and then all of a sudden, it's gone. And you're looking around and go, oh boy, did I finally get out of hell? Did I finally get out of hell? Is this true? Can this really be true? I mean, this is hard. <laughs> and then you see this big throne. And then you see books being open, as Revelation says, the books of works, your works, not the work of Jesus Christ, that's the problem. You trusted in your own works, it was your miracles, it was your casting out demons, it was you, it was you, it wasn't Jesus. You didn't trust in the work of Jesus Christ, that's the only way to heaven. And then you stand before Jesus, and, and you, you don't just say, Lord, once, you say it twice. It's like you're freaking out. It's like, Lord, Lord, what have I been doing in hell this whole once? What? I mean, I'm glad I'm here. I'm out of it. But Lord, I mean, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. And the scripture says in Revelation that they go basically from the frying pan into the fire. You thought hell was bad. Now you're going into the lake of fire. What a horrible reality. All because somebody didn't say, I must decrease. He must increase. I'm not getting to heaven by my own works. There's no way. 
I don't care if it looks Christian. I am trusting in nothing but the work of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross. It seems almost too simple. But the scripture says that's the only way to heaven. Why would you risk that? Jesus, out of love, tells us, don't do that. Come to him today. Trust in his work on the cross to save you, and he will. And then every day, enjoy a beautiful, wonderful relationship with him. Every day, stay plugged in with him. Every day, you'll bear much fruit. And then when you get to heaven, not hell, purely by his grace, you'll have much treasure to lay at his feet to say thank you for saving me completely and rescuing me from hell. Much better way to go. Amen? Individually, that's your choice. I wish I could make it for you, but I can't. Choose Jesus today. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness, or the wrong things that we have done, have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin, or unholiness, uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy, we're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay? Well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. 
You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the ten commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God, and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell, and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out 
and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.